What's up, everybody? This is Bootstrapping SaaS to Millions. I'm Kevin. He's Mike. We talk about tips, advice, stories on our journey going from zero to a, an eight-figure business. What's up, dude? How's it going today? Hey, good, man. I had my coffee this morning. Awesome. You're, you're ready to tell stories then. <laughs> Uh, I haven't. And so we're going to see what I can generate um, without caffeine. But I wanted to talk today about the core business and growing that versus looking at other products or revenue sources. So this could be as early, you know, for anyone that's listening, as early as in the first couple months, I've seen people start thinking of the next thing versus a couple of years down the road, thinking of another revenue source. And I know we're at the point now where it's becoming a reality. So I wanted to just talk about it, see where we've been, where we're going and uh, see what we can uncover. Yeah. So first let's flash back to like five, six years ago. We're sitting in my apartment, we're brainstorming, we're whiteboarding, trying to figure out like what we're doing here. And we're like, cool, phase one, we get like, you know, between a few hundred and a few thousand of these inspectors, this group that's like 20,000 people strong. And we have just a profitable SaaS business where we can pay our mortgage and then we can start figuring out like, cool, what's like that big idea? What's like the B2C thing that we want to try? And But we also were like, well, but what about phase two? It's like this field of home inspection. We get all this cool data and it's like connected to this broader landscape of people that are owning homes and contractors that are servicing the homes. And that could be this like potential moonshot of leveraging our first business into like all these kind of mini businesses, like creating our own incubator. Right. And, um, it felt like this pie in the sky thing. Cause we had nothing but some napkin sketches. It's, you know, you come forward a few years and we're like, wow, we have really healthy profits. We can start taking gambles with it to see what else we can build. Uh, it's, it's a very interesting position to be in right now. It's amazing to talk about it. I, I, I had just, gotten done working at home advisor at the time. And so I remember thinking deeply about how home advisors network worked and there was parts of it that weren't great with how they generated leads for contractors. And we, we often talked about like, man, wouldn't it be great if the home inspector was the one that led a home buyer to all these contractors, the word of the warm word of mouth referral. And we were like, well, that won't work until we have a lot of customers and a lot of trust built up. And, and so that was always, yeah, phase two slash three. Um, but it was like, go get a couple thousand customers first. And so like, we're, we're here and uh, it's, we're questioning it at times too, right? Because I think every entrepreneur can, can relate to this is when you take your eye off the thing that's providing you a living, there's like a little nervousness there that it's going to like degrade or get worse, you know, that you're taking your eye off the ball. Yeah. Like there's this internal struggle because as entrepreneurs, and I know my mentality, I'm always thinking like, what's the next big thing? What's the, what's the horizon? I always want to be on that forefront of pushing to the next like revenue stream, the next uh, thing that's just really exciting. And it's a lot harder to say, let me put that away in the drawer for now and spend a few years just like growing our core product, doing things we're doing well, even better so that we can, um, actually make that like more like a higher percentage chance. Right. And for the last three years, I think we're like, this is the year that we go after these like other revenue streams. This is the year that we attack these like adjacent verticals. And every year we're like, we still have a shit ton of tech debt. We 
still have bugs at, like that are fairly significant. We still have features that people are asking for that we haven't built. And so for the last few years, we've said, no, let's just keep postponing that. Let's keep our eye on the core. Let's make sure that we're like continuing to delight our current customers and not just saying, this is done, move on to the next thing. Some days I just think patience and like doing repetitive things is like a superpower or like a, a way to succeed. And it's hard. And I get, I see how hard it is when I look at like on Twitter and, and see people having 10 KMR, 20 KMR, and then they're launching another thing and then another thing. And so, yeah, the patience I think is what is now enabling us to have a user base that's so big that it maybe can generate the next thing. And not only the user base, but we've been really... Uh, intentional about like building up a leadership team, making sure they're both knowledgeable enough to make good decisions and empowered enough to make those decisions to where we feel like the system can kind of keep running. You know, like right now I kind of can sit back and observe these amazing product decisions being made, all the legwork being done without necessarily any input from me. That used to be all I did. And now it just kind of happens and there's systems in place with like client success and sales and marketing that we're seeing um, work really well. And of course, we still have a long way to go to make like perfect them. But I feel so much more confident that we have the right people in positions of leadership and, uh, and authority to do that, which allows our minds to actually say, yeah, we can start thinking about this next phase. That's a great point. I think like knowing yourself in terms of like your operating you know, excitement or experience versus being a, a creator and a starter. Cause I think most entrepreneurs identify with, Oh, I'm a builder. I go from zero to one. And then other people build up the village and, you know, turn it into a city. And so I think we, we, we thought we were ready, you know, earlier, but then you're right. There was no one to replace what we were doing. There was no one that we felt comfortable going to sleep at night. That was, that was maintaining the product, supporting it. And so now we're at that point. And so like, what, are there any hesitations at this point or what, what, what factors do you weigh in your head when you think next frontier versus get 5,000 more customers and double our company again? Like, cause that's, a, I think that's a, that's the fork in the road. It feels like sometimes. No, hundred percent. And it's, it's the same stuff. that I think we've always thought about where we kind of know the path of getting more customers within our space, right? It, it's, there's more known quantities. It feels, <clears throat> I don't want to say easy because nothing, no growth is easy, but it feels like a more sure thing because we have playbooks for it. We don't have playbooks yet for attacking adjacent verticals and saying, hey, we succeeded in this home inspector niche. Now let's go build software for plumbers. Let's go build software for roofers. We don't even know what we don't know in those spaces. I, I've never talked to a roofer about their software, right? And so it's it's that question of risk and reward of saying, okay, well, we can do the known thing, keep our focus here, grow the core. We know that to be good. We know that we can increase our revenue at a very predictable rate and money's great, right? It never hurts to have more revenue. But lately I've personally been feeling this draw towards, I don't even know if it's more exciting, but there's more risk, right? That That entrepreneurial spirit of like, Dude, if we can have five Spectoras, or even two, right? Let's start with two instead of jumping straight to five. But if we can replicate what we've done, but with like maybe some of these playbooks apply to the next thing, man, then we start building kind of a little mini empire. And that's really exciting. 
And what we're doing with like building up our leadership team and fostering people's career growth, we put that on steroids. Then we have like so much movement for people to be in positions of leadership and just ways to experiment. Then we have all these things that are kind of similar, but a little bit different and people can try different strategies. We see what works. And that's, I think, how these like massive companies get built is by just sharing that knowledge among kind of different, different silos. So that sounds really exciting. And that's like, it, it, my mind keeps getting pulled in that direction more lately because I feel like the known path of continuing to grow what we got is, you know, not only is it, yeah, like a little bit less exhilarating, but it's like, it's more known, right? So the, how about you? Do, do you feel like that, that calling or are you kind of more protective of what we're, what we've been working on? You know, it's just, it's, it's just starting to happen easier. Uh, you know, each additional customer, each additional big customer feels like they kind of get in our system and it just happens instead of this like Herculean lift that you and I have to get on a call and then we got to build a feature and then we got to really support them. And then we're nervous the whole time. And now sometimes it just happens overnight or happens in a week. And it's like, Oh, great. Like the numbers keep going up. And so we're, we have a very fortunate, you know, setup here of having really strong, I think product market fit being kind of seen as a, a one, two leader in the space. So I think our focus on profitability early on set us up for this. And so like, think, I love the mental model of thinking of it as being our own VC, um, you know, because for, to be able to raise your own money and then kind of create the incentives with your team to do this, that's kind of, we've heard pieces of this, I think from other entrepreneurs or people that talk about incentivizing your team, but you can only do that if you're funding it. So then you're giving away equity, maybe in like a sub business or something like that toying with stuff like that, that really excites me because it deals with people, but then it's also product sales, you know, ad copy. It's, it's a mix of everything. And, you know, I'm starting to feel more and more like a generalist nowadays anyway. And so I think it, for, for me, it's appealing because it, we're kind of get to start it and get it off the ground. Like we did with Spectorian. Yeah. That idea of being your own VC is fascinating, right? Cause like usually you have an idea, you go and do the rounds of trying to figure out how, where you get money and then you don't have as much control. And yeah, we get this opportunity instead of just putting this money into index funds and make our five, 10, maybe 15%. We can say, okay, let's take some gambles. Maybe we make zero off it, but maybe we also can turn it into another, you know, 10,000 X or whatever Spectora has been for us investment. And um, wow. That, that could be really cool. And you're right, the ability to, just the control over it, right? Like we know our people, we know who's good at what, we know who's hungry, who has drive, who has leadership abilities. And so now we can incentivize them and say, hey, you get X percent of profit coming off this thing, you wanna go and run with it. You own the PL for it, you own the decision-making within it, you coordinate with like whatever shared resources that we have. But what a cool thing that we can do. In worst case, you know, it doesn't work as well. And we tried. You yeah. know, there's like more things that we can keep trying. And that's the beauty of SaaS, right? Is a sticky B2B product. And that's why it's, I don't, we don't have experience in other things yet, but it's hard to argue against a sticky B2B product that just replenishes, say, that hundred grand that maybe didn't work out with trying scheduling software for contractors or whatever. 
but that just replenishes and then you get another shot at it. And so it's, whereas if you, like you said, if you just stick it in the stock market, that's what your, that's your opportunity cost is. Okay. You didn't make that five to seven, maybe negative 5% over the next year, but you had a reasonable shot at turning that hundred grand into a couple million. Like that trade-off just makes total sense to me. Like, especially this phase of life. Yeah. So what do you think? You know, critics would be like, dude, don't take your eye off the ball. You got this great thing going. What do you, how do you respond to that? How do you process that? You know, it's, it's, it's the thoughts. I think, you know, there's times where it feels like we are. And then I anchor back to, so who's, who's showing up in place of us. And do we feel good about whose faces are on the chat bubble? Who's pushing code, who's talking to customers and it's never going to be hundred percent of the way we did it. That's like the rule we've learned, but if it's like 80 or 90, that's pretty damn good. And that's good enough for most customers. And so I think in order to grow that, that's the, that's the concession is you have to say, Hey, is it 80 to 90% of the way we would have done it quote, not taking our eye off the ball. Great. Then we can still pop in and out. We can still have a presence and be there, but it's not no show founders, you know, we know we're not that. And so I think I feel pretty confident with our visibility still in the industry and with our business, but then part-timing it, it's, you know, and I think you, you, you have great experience, I think in this, in terms of like fracturing your attention, but like being fully present with the 30% you're putting into this new thing. Yeah. Cause what do you think is the danger of like suddenly being the no show founder or, you know, why, why is that a bad thing? Right. Cause a lot of companies have owners that aren't involved, but like, what do you think the impact would be for our business if we were just poof gone? Well, if, if the incentive alignment isn't like 100% dialed in, I think the risk is complacency and that resentment for like, Oh, they're just cash and checks. They're not here. And then people just um, can tend to feel betrayed or feel like, well, I'm left doing the grunt work and now I'm just going to kind of mail it in and just kind of go on cruise control. And I think once that kind of starts to happen and spread, that's going to be really hard to reverse. It feels like. Yeah. hundred percent. What do you, what do you think? Yeah. That and like when, I guess when a, a founder or owner's finger isn't on the pulse, a lot of things can happen that maybe they would have seen as like a potential mistake or a potential misstep. But if they're very checked out and just assuming that things are are going along as it, as it should be, yeah, things can happen. And then by the time you catch it, it's too late. And so I guess that's my fear is of getting uninvolved. It's kind of like owning a stock at that point, but you're very concentrated in one company, which is to me the scariest thing. And even if it's a company that you originally built, man, if you're not involved in the day-to-day, if you don't know what's going on, that seems a lot riskier to me. So. Yeah, and, right. Like being able to still keep that finger on the pulse. And the customer perception is what I always like, what always kept me up because people would switch to us from other softwares and say, oh, the founder doesn't even listen anymore. He's never around. He just like, you know, shits on everyone's ideas and doesn't even pay attention. And so, like, that, that's the fear is that the perception is owners don't care, but it's not like it just has to be us either. And I think that's the point of leaders is that if someone is there and they're like sharp and dialed into what you're saying as a customer, then they feel hurt. It doesn't, it might not matter that it was me or you anymore. And that's the goal, right? A hundred percent. That's, that was something I was thinking earlier, but I didn't know the words to, to connect it because we've become the face of the business. 
for at least the first five years, right? And we're people come, they hug us at conferences, we talk to them, we we have history with them. But to make a good company, I feel like it has to survive the the founders, right? Like Apple is still Apple. Apple still represents something without Steve Jobs. And that's an example everybody knows. We're no Apple, but how can you create something that just will perpetuate? And hopefully we're starting to do that because I think we have people working for us that that our customers know and love and they feel more connected to than they do to us. Some of them never talked to us or met us. Probably at this point, half our customers maybe have never talked to us or met us directly. And hopefully that's because we have such a great team that's embodying the same stuff. And maybe because they're incentivized with equity, profit sharing, all these things that give them the same feeling of ownership that that we have. What do you feel like we need to be doing to kind of elevate them, get them that visibility, the credibility. What can we do? Yeah, that's tough, man. I I think some stuff we've talked about is getting them to like speak at conferences. It's always us speaking at conferences and that's great because we have a track record, we have history. Can we get more people to establish themselves as thought leaders, as people that understand the industry through and through and can speak in a way that people are like, wow, they know what's up. I'm going to listen to them. I'm going to check out their company. I'm going to use their software. And so that's big. That, and it's, it's a process because not everybody feels, we didn't feel equipped to it, but we just had to because it was just you and me. And so it was a fake it till you make it kind of thing. But now it's almost like we have to step back and say, no, you're going to do this even though you don't feel ready. That's one thing. I don't know. What else do you think? Uh, you know, we're taking four new people to a conference in a month and a half. So I think face it's all FaceTime, whether it's in person or getting them on a video to build trust more than just one-to-one. Um, one-to-one's great at conferences, but we only get so many opportunities. And so, yeah, I asked Katie the other day, I was like, is that of interest to you to kind of be in the face of a company, getting in front of people more, being more visible in a Facebook group, putting your name on things? I told her when you put your name on things, I'm learning more, more trust accrues to you, more rewards accrue to you. It's, it's everyone that wants to hide behind not, you know, not putting their name on something. It's going to be hard for you to elevate and kind of make a name. Nope. Did you mute? You're muted somehow, Mike. Ah, sorry. Didn't want anybody to hear my ice slosh. <laughs> yeah. The it, it's been like pulling teeth, right? To get folks on video, to get folks on camera or on podcasts. Everybody's always a little timid. We were, but again, we had to do it. I think that's the um, the next thing is that we have to make some of our teammates do stuff that they're not comfortable with to get them where they want to go, where we want them to go. I mean, they, I don't think they disagree with the premise. It's always just like, oh, well, is, is this the right time? never is the right time. It's just what you got to start doing. And there's very few people that are like made for making videos or audio. It, it, it's kind of is a, you fall into it or get nudged by your boss and then you realize you start to embrace it and enjoy it. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's going to feel like something we're going to have to like nudge them in the pool a little bit. Yeah. 100%. So, um, yeah. So yeah. When you're thinking about these adjacent verticals, these kind of bigger plays, what do you think the risks are? Well, wasted time and money. So, you know, when you think of 
the product cycle of a MVP or a, you know, you start, you know, beta testing and getting feedback. It's more than just the engineer that's on it. It's the person who's doing the calls. It's the support of it. So, I mean, it could easily get into the half a million dollars, you know, range when you talk a couple months of, of anything. So that's no longer a small shot, you know, no longer it's like, Oh, it's only 50 grand, you know, in a couple, couple weeks. And so, yeah, time and money that otherwise could have been spent sharpening all the tools we have with base products. So time, money, and then another big one is a fracturing of the team's mentality. Um, you know, everyone says a singular focus, the top of the mountain that you're like aspiring to get to really rallies people, really inspires people. But now if you have like two peaks and you're like, well, we're gonna start climbing here, but then we're gonna stop and jump over this mountain and start climbing up there it's uh it may water it down if it's not tied into the whole the big vision and i think that's going to be our challenge is tying it in right and i always wonder about that because we don't have like google margins right like google had crazy margins with search ads and so then they took shots and now they have like a billion products they've probably had more failures that nobody even heard of than majority failures Yeah. yeah and um but they had the margins to do that. And that's kind of the model where like, okay, we have some margins. Let's take some shots at different products, see what sticks, what fails. But yeah, I guess there's that risk that, um, you know, cause for not only us, but the people that we're giving profit sharing to where they're like now getting less because we're diverting some of those profits yep. into R and D essentially. Um, and if none ever pan out, how will they feel about that? Would there be a morale hit? Of right. like, oh man, we thought we had stuff figured out and we were good, but maybe we were just lucky with this this thing. <laughs> yeah, and getting buy-in, right? I think that's part of our leadership meetings is getting that like buy-in, even though ultimately we could decide, but I think it helps to have their blessing and buy-in that it's a good use of funds. Do you like the do like do you like the approach more of quick, scrappy, low spend, look for early traction, or do you let more like the approach now of spend a few months, deeper research, and then put in a couple hundred grand, maybe when we know an idea that we feel good about? I previously would have said the former of just like, Hey, quick and dirty. But when we're looking at some of these other verticals that we're considering the competition, the bar is a little higher. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like it needs to be a little bit more polished, a little more put together. It needs to be a little bit more initial spend and a little more polished or else it's just not going to get, it wouldn't be a good experiment because it wouldn't even be considered as an alternative to the incumbents. I think when we came into home inspection software, the reason we did was because we saw that the incumbents maybe were getting a little sleepy. They weren't The bar was lower. And so we could move quick. We could have something that was okay. You know, it looked good, but there's like, we definitely knew there's a lot of tech up there. There's some slowness, there's some bugs, but we were able to get initial traction because of the comparisons across competition. Some of these other verticals, or if you go B to C, something has to be way, way more buttoned up. If we were like, hey, we're going to try and create a product for all homeowners out there. That's like half the country. And now we need a really high bar to even grab a minute's worth of attention from anybody. And so, yeah, now it does feel like you said, like, probably looking at a half million dollar investment to take a shot at something in a meaningful way. Yeah. And I feel like our challenge will be really documenting and, and 
diligently paying attention to the hours and the time spent. So it's not a runaway project because if the stakes get higher and higher, it feels like when you go into another decent sized industry and actually containing it as opposed to, because it's no one's going to track it, but us probably. And so it's like, we would have to, you know, set a budget and a timeline and, and run it like a true PM. And that'll, that'll flex some fun muscles for us. Yeah. Yeah. It's scary. It's a scary proposition. What do you, what do you totally kind of switching gears, but like, how do you, how did you feel seeing like the MailChimp thing? That was, that's obviously current events. That's the, a big win for bootstrappers. I think just in general, even though most companies, <laughs> no one will ever do that again, probably, but does, does that stir anything up? Do you think of us as like a, a smaller version of that? Can we accomplish like a one, a 10% version of that? Um, because obviously mail affects everybody. We're just probably going to be going after, you know, niches. So for people that don't know, MailChimp sold to Intuit, owner of QuickBooks for what, 12 billion? Mm-hmm. Yep. Strap company, been doing it since what, the late nineties or something? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's not these overnight successes that, you know, I'm sure a lot of people are like, oh, my, you know, 12 billion. Years. Yeah, this is obviously something that they grinded at for a long time. And what'd you say yesterday? We're like the first how many years weren't even anything, yeah. anything noteworthy? I think it was a side project for them. They were running an agency for years um, and it, it was just kind of the slow grind or not going anywhere. And then, yeah, and then it finally took off when they did the free forever plan. And so like half of their existence was like not a ton of growth. Right. Yeah. And we've been fortunate that what in five years we've been seeing like between two and five X year over year growth, which is awesome. But we also know like, Hey, we got kind of a very, very small niche here. And um, so there's a cap. There's only so much we can do with like a niche B2B, which is probably why we're saying, Hey, what if we look at other B's, you know, other niches that we can expand to, and then maybe a B2C kind of homeowner thing because of our established connections. And that's a, it's exciting to see that bootstrap companies can do these, headline worthy things because sometimes and maybe even when we started we're like oh yeah we'll grind out a, a decent living we'll pay our mortgage and then figure out what that massive play is well what if this is our massive play and we can keep expanding within gives you hope it gives you confidence it makes you think dude yeah we don't need investors to get big it just might take you know in their case what like 20 years 25 years um instead of these you know five year 10 year successes yeah. And is there, is there a higher likelihood of success, you know, and that's kind of the, the, I think the, the quandary or the decision-making process a lot of people have with raising or not, as you put yourself on an immediate timeline, whereas he said, no, I think multiple times to a couple billion dollar buyout offers and uh, decided to keep growing it and growing it. And so really cool story, but yeah, I, I think of ours as more of a version of kind of uh, mastering our niche and then maybe stepping outside a lane over a lane over a lane over. And, uh, and then it can aggregate to something pretty big, I think. And I think lots of people listening probably are in similar boats with niches, um, yeah. and be, mostly B2B, I imagine. And I guess to me, the, cause we, you know, get emails, reach outreach from investors like daily. Usually it's, um, yeah, with the ex- explicit purpose of like, Hey, we want to acquire you or we want to throw a bunch of money at you. And we've always resisted because I think we feel like not only do we have the profit margins to do this on our own, but man, somebody else's involvement that's maybe not as close to our space or to our team, but that suddenly feels like they have a say in all of it. It just makes me kind of, it makes me, it makes me worried that suddenly decision-making isn't as pure 
as, as it currently has been, where we just kind of feel like, hey, we know our industry. And if we don't, we figure it out. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, that, yeah, that, and then um, the timeline to get investors their money back is just it causes decisions that typically end up pissing off customers. It seems like because it's not, uh, it's based on profits, not necessarily like patience or what's best for the customer. Um, it's, it's yeah, and the pressure you would feel of someone saying, I think you should do this. You need to double your prices or whatever, whatever the decision is feels scary. Um, you know, the only upside or one of the few upsides would be the connection and the network that they all seem to run in where maybe one of them knows someone that's on the board at Zillow and then they introduce you and then you end up getting a quiet, you know, I can't help, but I have no idea of this world. I just wonder how many deals happen because of the investor whereas it may not have happened otherwise. Right. And I also wonder, like, based on what they've seen, if there's playbooks that are established that we just haven't thought of because it's our first time going through. And they're like, hey, we've seen this dozens of times. Here's what's worked across, you know, half the companies that are in our portfolio. And that's always a little bit appealing. But that's why we're seeking out mentors. That's why we're going to try and connect with other founders that are at levels higher than us. That's something that we know we need to do is bring more external information and see what can in and see what can apply. Yeah, exactly. Cause it's not like they give you anything before they, you know, give you the money or before you take their investment, they don't give you any those secrets or they don't tell you anything. So anyway, um, you know, how do you, I want to, I'm curious how you view um, kind of the initial product discovery now, cause now we're like thinking of kind of a new area. Maybe we're thinking of other contractor trades, the homeowner, it's a little overwhelming, you know, to think of the B2C route. And so like, I've almost kind of closed myself off to that and said, okay, just focus on B2B, something we know at least. How are you viewing the research? Are you excited about that whole process and feedback loop again? Or is it more of, hey, we have a team, we can kind of like construct a mini team to go do this? Yeah, that's a good question. Cause there is a part of me that is like, oh man, we're going to get back to like one-on-one coffee, coffee shop meetings with like one dude, like one roofer that's going to talk to us. But I remember how much of a grind that was. That was like months and years of trying to get product market fit and having a lot of failures, a lot of missteps along the way. It seems daunting for you and I to just start doing that again. You know, we don't, I don't feel like we have that kind of timetable to do that five times over. That would take, you know, another couple of decades to get the early footholds in these many areas. And so I think, yeah, the power to have the right people in place. And it's different, right? We have certain engineers that are, they're great with like, hey, let's be cautious. Let's not take risks on like releasing stuff until it's properly QA'd. And that has its place with our current company because we don't want to fuck over 5,000 customers. But we also have some folks on our team that are like, yeah, I can move fast. I can shoot from the hip. Let's go. Let's see what sticks. It's okay if we're rolling out bugs. We're just trying to always move forward, always advance the ball downfield. And I think we get some of those people in place, give them the right incentives, and it can happen way faster than us trying to do the same thing we did when we were starting Spectora five, six years ago. Yeah. Completely agree. And maybe even a little bit of money to get it in front of those people quicker, you know, in mass with ads. Yeah. Um, and then it's all about systems. Probably I imagine is like, do we have the systems for getting 
good feedback and communicating well, kind of in bulk, as opposed to the one-to-one model. And so we'll be as good as I think our systems with that. It's going to be interesting. It's probably going to feel like what a person that just pitched investors and is like, okay, cool. Here's a quarter million dollars. See what you can do. Right. We're just like, oh crap. Okay. We have to hire this role and this role and this role and this role, and then just get it going really quickly. That seems super scary to me if we hadn't already kind of created Spectora and we have people that we know and we have processes and playbooks that we can apply. We have, you know, a product cycle that we're building right now. And so that's my hope is all these things we've learned and with Spectora, we can apply. Um, Cause otherwise, man, that would be very daunting. Yeah. It just, it, it has to happen at such a more patient pace. It feels like, you know, cause you just have, we have to knock out all these things before we can get to that like VC, you know, stage of running, you know, this offshoot company or other products. And so we'll get there. Yeah. But cool. it's fun to think about. It's cool because we've had great success with our kind of first SaaS foray. I hope we're learning really cool things. I hope that all these things that we think we know are actually not just dumb luck. And we're going to get a chance to prove it, right? We're going to get a chance to try it out and see what we can do in some other spaces. So that's, that's exciting. That's, that sounds fun. And I think it's worth noting too, we're explicitly taking the approach of what's an extension of our current business versus thinking of what's hot, what's a wave we can jump on. Cause some people take that approach and I totally get why of like, Hey, you just need to be on the right wave. So maybe they're doing something in crypto or they're doing something in uh, you know, whatever else is hot right now, yeah. as opposed to what's a step removed from my uh, you know, email software or, you know, a niche that I'm in. So we're not releasing Spectora coin. Spectora coin. It's, you know, it's, I don't know, I don't know much about any of these things, but like some of the applications you start to hear and you start to be like, okay, I could see how that could be appealing and interesting where there is something that allows your customers to buy in and participate maybe in some upside, like a stock. Yeah. And so there's, there's interesting things there. and, And, you know, we're, we've never been like super like, trendy cutting edge right. people. And so I don't see us doing it, but it's fun to think about how far in the future that that world is. Yeah. There, there is some comfort to sticking to what we know and just gradually expanding out, like, you know, like concentric circles, gradually expanding as opposed to just taking this massive leap into something saying, we're going to learn everything about this space and compete. feels um, very distracting. Yeah. And so, and that's the thing. It's like, you know, there's some people that pontificate that like, oh, SaaS is dying. It's going to, but I'm like, what's going to replace, like what's going to replace it, you know? Uh-huh. And so it's like, it's hard to think of anything besides a product that does what you want it to do for your business. Yeah. And I, I, the people that say this, I don't know what they're looking at because man, how many businesses just need to keep running the way they do. They're not going to change maybe for a decade or two. I think a lot of people overlook, they're always looking at the sexy, the shiny, they're thinking about Bitcoin, they're thinking about AI. And that's like such a small niche. That's like the tiniest slice of the pie of what really is making all the money right now. And it's great. People need to be on the forefront and advancing overall, like what humans can do. But I don't know, we're those pragmatic dudes that are like, hey, we're going to try and get like an awesome lifestyle building something that's not super sophisticated as things go. We're just focusing on the basics, on the fundamentals of building good business, connecting with customers, having good product. It's, um, yeah, it's definitely an approach that's been working for us. Yeah. It's like mini moonshots, you know, it's like mini, mini shots on goal, mini home runs. 
because there's so many probably hundred millionaires no one's ever heard of, you know? And it's, I think like, that's a great goal to be one of those where it's like, you know, you didn't do Salesforce. That's fine. That's, that's something that serves everyone, but all these other niches, man, I, I think there's so much opportunity when I look across other verticals. Yeah. And the benefit of us being still young is, Hey, maybe we do become hundred millionaires off of these things. And then in 10 years, we're able to take one of those crazy forefront technology moonshots. Right. Maybe we'll start a rocket company someday. Who knows? <laughs> That's next. That's easy, easy pivot. <laughs> well, cool, man. Uh, do you have anything else on this that you want to, any other points on this or things that jump out? No, that's that's all that's on my mind. Cool. Well, that's what's going on right now. Thanks, everybody. So we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, y'all. See you. Later.